what's happening, everyone. I'm Andy Kahn, and thanks for joining me for another episode of the Jam Based Podcast. Jam Based is a partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. This episode features my interview with singer-songwriter Charlie Parr, who discussed with me his new album, Last of the Better Days Ahead, which comes out tomorrow, Friday, July 30th, on the Smithsonian Folkways record label. Stick around for my chat with Charlie, which we'll get to in just a moment. First, I want to make sure you know that our Osiris friends at Helping Friendly Podcast are back publishing a weekly podcast during Fish's summer and fall tours. Look for those to drop on Tuesdays. HF Pod will also be hosting daily live video interviews with someone who attended the Fish show the night before for a live post-show report. Look for those on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 1 p.m. Eastern the day after each upcoming Fish show. Jambase is your source for Fish show recaps and the Skinny Setlist breakdown and statistical analysis. We're very excited about the newly launched The Skinny Hub, which is sponsored by Section 119. Now you can explore Jambase historical fish coverage and the skinny stats dating back to 2015, all in one convenient location. Visit the brand new The Skinny Hub at jambase.com skinny and check back after each show as Jambase provides in-depth coverage of fish all tour long. That includes last night's tour opener in Arkansas. So be sure to check out Jambase to get the skinny on what went down at the band's first show in more than a year. All right, now let's get to my interview with Charlie Parr, who I spoke to recently over a video call. The signal didn't have to travel far as we were both in Minnesota, Charlie up in Duluth and me here in the Twin Cities. As I mentioned, Charlie has a new album called The Last of the Better Days Ahead, which he recorded during the pandemic. Charlie told me about his approach of blending biographical history with fictional or other artistic embellishments to tell the stories in his songs. Regular podcast listeners are likely familiar with Brad Cook, a producer and musician who has worked with many previous podcast guests, and who had an interesting co-producing role working with Charlie on Last of the Better Days Ahead. Charlie and I also talked about the series of live-streamed limited capacity shows he played in January as part of a month-long weekly residency at First Avenue here in Minneapolis. We also discussed Charlie's feelings about returning to touring and performing live shows in front of full-capacity audiences, among a few other topics. So here's a bit of the Last Better Days Ahead title track, to lead us into my interview with Charlie Parr. Money can't buy back that 64 Falcon that you sold in your 20s and regretted it was gone. Cause you thought it contained some meaning or some answers to a life that you never bothered to question or even take a good close look at. And it broke your heart to see how it had been so important from the feeling of the steering wheel to the rubber on the road. And now it's grown on realistic proportions in your mind. Well, let's talk about your upcoming new album. It comes out on July 30th. It's called Last of the Better Days Ahead, and it's coming out on Smithsonian Folkways. Um, it's great. I've been listening to it for the past few days now. Um, it, it's not exactly a concept album, right? But there is sort of a concept that, to the record. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. That, it's, it's, uh, I had, had kind of envisioned it to be like, uh, like a book of short stories. Okay. That, that all maybe, maybe, maybe all happen in the same town. Right. Like, um, oh, it, it has like, like that makes me think of Spoon River Anthology. Hmm, I don't know that. Okay. Um, I read it in high school. It's, uh, 
it's it's sort of um, tombstones from people that are in the same town, and they all tell stories of the different people. Interesting. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, that's. Um, it's interesting. So, so when did you sort of come up with that concept? Was that, did you, did you have songs started or did you write the songs with the intent to kind of come up with that theme? Well, you know, the two parts to that, the first part is I, I, you know, I I come back to this a lot, but, but when I was younger, when I was in my twenties, I wanted to write a book that would be a book of short stories all about one neighborhood so they would inter- interlap and you know characters would be you know the people's stories and this and that and never was able to really pull that off but i think about it from time to time um this record you know started from zero i didn't have any of these songs really i had some of the music that i'd been working on okay um and the 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 instrumental track you know was yes was, more or less the, the 12 string part of it was fully formed. But when I started actually sitting down and working on lyrics, um, that was all kind of starting from, from scratch and, and right at the very beginning of, uh, of COVID. So that's when the songs were written during, during last year's pandemic. Right. Right. In the, in the, in the beginning of the summer, basically, I think it was June, July. Did that, do you think, have an effect on the content of, of the lyrics, the, the, the result of the pandemic and the isolation? Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it did. I, you know, because I'm, I'm the kind of, I'm, I'm definitely the kind of writer who's uh, not able to be helped by being influenced by just everything. I'm like mm-hmm. a sponge, you know? Yeah. And so every time I write, you know, whatever's going on around me is definitely going to just become part of that world a little bit um so i'm I'm sure that the the pandemic was was getting in there i think there are certain songs that have uh uh kind of the the um vibe of isolation Mm -hmm. and you know i spent the pandemic more or less just kind of on my own um and and um you know that that seeps into it so do you think that you're the type of person that goes looking for inspiration or, or, or do you find inspiration, like you said, it, it, kind of everywhere? Both. Uh, yeah. I'm always kind of looking for it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, but, I, but it's always around me too, because I, you know, I, I have a, my idea about, about life is, is that I, I, it's important for me to really like pay attention and be mindful about really, really small things every day. Um, mm-hmm. I have a, um, you know, clinical depression and an anxiety disorder. So, you know, kind of keeping on top of those things means being vigilant kind of all the time. Yes. But what's that given me is the opportunity to appreciate really, really like, um, I guess, small for lack of a better word, but just mundane everyday things that suddenly become really beautiful and inspirational. So I'm kind of, I feel like I'm always surrounded by inspirations as long as I open my eyes and look at it. Um, but then there are other times when I, you know, I really want to go find things that inspire me, new things, books, uh, new music, you know, film, mm-hmm. artwork, just, mm-hmm. or conversations with people that I don't know. That's always a, a source of inspiration of some kind. Did, um, do you, when you, when 
when you're inspired by something then, uh, or I guess, I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, so how does something that you take, how do you go from being inspired to create, creating a song? Um, what's your sort of process like as far as actually the, the nitty gritty writing of, of, of lyrics? I, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure that I know. Uh, I yeah. do know that, that there's, it, it's like, um, I guess fermentation is the best word I can think of. Okay. There's a period where, you know, I take in stuff and it, it just has to like be with me for a while mm-hmm. or it goes away and maybe comes back. I mean, some things, um, the, there's a song on the new record called the blues for whitefish lake that literally is, 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 in a, is, is inspired by an event that happened in 1975 and has mm-hmm. like lived with me for this long, you know, um, it's not something I think about often. It's, it's kind of a melancholy memory yeah. for me, but it is an inspiration to me. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the song kind of all grew out of this one, fuzzy memory that i'm i'm 100 percent sure that my memory of this event is at least 75 percent fabrication you know right um i my note next to that song is that it's the most biographical on the record so it, it is based on as real event as you can remember um, what, right? I, what i remember about that day is my dad and i going fishing on whitefish lake um not catching anything, but my dad wasn't the kind of, you know, he didn't fish to catch fish as much as he fished just to kind of get to go float around on a lake and be outside. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes, you know, you'd sit with him for like an hour and realize that he hadn't even put a worm on his hook. He <laughs> wanted to just sit there and be outside. He was, yeah, I know. You know, he was that kind of person, but I, you know, we'd, we'd tried a little, a couple of different spots on the lake that we knew were good, but nothing was going on. And, and he he started up the boat and had this little Johnson nine nine outboard on it, and we little putted across the lake. <laughs> and as we were going, I didn't know where we were going. My dad, my dad was a unique guy. He knew everybody around him all the time. He was a gregarious person. But mm-hmm. we putted and putted and putted. Finally, get to this point on the other side of the lake that I didn't really see it until we got right up to it. There was a dock. And there was a long flight of wooden steps leading up into the woods. Okay. I tied up the boat, walked up this rickety, rickety wooden staircase. And at the top, there was this goofy little bar. Um, I mean, there's access from the road on the other side, but mm-hmm. I didn't see that at the time. So I felt like it was like just for the lake, you know. A bar and in we, the woods. Yeah, we went in. And of course, the bartender and my dad knew each other by name. Mm-hmm. And we sat there and played pool and he had some beers and I, I drank some grape soda, if I remember correctly. <laughs> it was a great afternoon. And on the way home, uh, you know, since we had no ability to go fast, we both threw our, you know, threw spoons in and trolled all the way back to where we were camping and ended up catching uh, a really nice size northern on the way back. So, you know, it was just a really nice memory. But, you know, the song... The song isn't really, it's, the song is inspired by that memory, but it's, mm-hmm. also, it's also inspired in a darker way by, you know, my dad dying and yeah. me kind of, you know, using that memory as, a, as an imagination of what it's going to be like when I die. 
right. Coming to terms with that uh, part of your life. Yeah. yeah. I can hear voices from above me on the steepest part of the bank and listen for the voice of my father in the midst of the pines there is a bar at the top of the staircase hidden amongst the leaves concentrate on the face of my father Concentrate on the last shirt I saw him wear. So I know that 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 song is very biographical. There's other songs that don't seem as biographical. Um, do you ever do you, are you ever concerned that the listener won't know if you're writing about a character or yourself? I, I guess I guess I'm not concerned about that, but not because I don't care, but just because there's not much I can do about it. Right. Um, my mother, for example believes that every single song is honest, true biography, you know, yeah. everything I say must be about me, about, uh-huh. honest. and I had, you know, I told her one day, I said, you know, I'm a, you know, you don't read novels with that idea in mind that, right. You know, James Joyce must be Leopold Bloom. That just must be the way he is. Right. You don't do that. And I said, this is in, and you know, other like more like real songwriters like Bob Dylan, for example, has talked about that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I feel that, I mean, with the exception of the white fish lake song, most of the songs on the record are just stories I made up in my head, you know, uh-huh. and, and, uh, obviously inspired by the world around me, but almost never just an event taken from the world and transcribed into a song. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, you know, if people do that, I, I'm not really sure how I can, you know, I, I, other than putting like a, uh, some kind of disclaimer on the packaging, you know, <laughs> right. to say, this is really not about me, but when I meet people and they assume that, you know, I hop freight trains or eat squirrels or something like that to tell them I'm just making, I'm making stuff up. I'm just making things up. I, I noticed too, when looking at your lyric sheet that they take different forms. Some, some almost look like prose. Some look like a true po like poetry, others kind of more your traditional song structure. How much do you think about the form of the song when you're creating it? Um, is it, it, does the structure of that sort of writing play into how you develop the song itself? Yeah. I, I think it, I think I think about that kind of a lot mm-hmm. um, because some, some, some things seem to want to just be a story. Right. And, and so instead of like, you know, rhyming, rhyming words, you're looking mm-hmm. for words that have the same kind. There's a word for this, but I figure what it is, but you know, words that kind of land the same way. Mm-hmm. They don't rhyme, but they sound alike. Or there's right. a, that, that thing. There's a word for that. I don't know. Con- consonants. I think something. Yeah. Right. It's I close to that. that kind of quite a bit. I, yeah. you know, I think about the, the, the form of it. Um, I want to try, you know, I guess, I guess I want to try to, to, to get to the, to, to spaces where I'm doing that on purpose, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm not just like barfing out lyrics and then trying to stick them to music, but I'm trying to be mindful about that, that process a little bit better. 
I think on this record, I, I, I got a little closer to that than I usually do. And, and what's your editing process? Like, are you a heavy self editor um, or does it, are you tending, you know, kind of the, the first take type with your I'm, writing? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very heavy editor. Um, yeah. it, both music and words. Mm-hmm. The, the times that I value first takes is when everything is done and I want to record it. Um, gotcha. yeah. Like this record is first takes. It's all done live. I'm in, in Eric's studio, except for uh, Decoration Day. Mm-hmm. Um, but my editing process is, you know, writing stuff, playing it a lot, you know, trying, trying it out at shows, like sneaking it into the sets of shows and seeing what uh-huh. it does. And then finding that's, that's how I find a lot of problems with songs is playing it live. Oh, you know, interesting. Finding out the tempo is just not going to work or, mm-hmm. or whatever. The flow of it is wrong. Um, so I, I do, I, I do edit it a lot. I, I find that, you know, if, 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 um, if I don't, then I get stuck. You know, if I, if I don't edit it, um, and I record it in its kind of initial fashion, it'll never, ever sound that way again. Right. And it's likely that I might not even ever play it again. If I, if I think it's, you know, kind of, um, set down for the record mm-hmm. and I'm not done with it, then you know, I might not ever touch it again, but I mean, most songs are like that anyway. Most of, songs really don't feel like they're done anyway, generally. I mean, I've still got songs that I wrote in the early 2000s. And I'm still like, I'll take them to shows and, and they'll present themselves in a way that I hadn't thought about before. And I'm like, oh, that, that, that's cool. That's, that's, that's what it is now. You know, it's not, doesn't sound like the record anymore. And even recent songs, have, I've, I've switched them, you know, I've, I've kind of revamped them or, mm-hmm deconstructed them and that feels like a, an important part of the songwriting process for me that's i think what's you somewhat unique about the a song as an art form is that it it's tr- it's it's all it's alive it, and and evolving you know a painting is a painting a film is a film you can redo them but they're still just reproductions they're not necessarily their own uh the the, the evolution of a song itself totally and i i think you could even say that you know, the record that you're holding in your hand is a reproduction. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. it's, a it's an image of a, of a, of a thing that happened on a day. Uh, whereas the song itself is still out there being alive and doing yes. stuff. And I can rewrite it every single night. Whereas mm-hmm. if I'm a novelist or a painter, obviously I can't break into your home and redo the painting that you want. Um, yes. So that's, um, that's yeah. And you mentioned before that sometimes the melody comes first. Sometimes you work off of the music first. Sometimes the lyrics do. Um, what's sort of the, the frequency of that? How often does, is it, does it start with a melody over a lyric? You know, it feels like it's, it's almost, uh, it's almost a, an even, even game. Um, this record was weird because there was a lot of lyrics that came without music. Um, okay. everyday opus, for example, was, a lot of lyrics and the yes. original version of it was even more lyrics. Okay. Um, so that's some of the editing. Yeah. Um, and, and I could, I could kind of like, I could kind of feel the music in there as I was working on it, mm-hmm. but it takes a minute for that to really get clear. If I, if I've written the lyrics like dead first, but I think it's, I think it's, it's pretty even as far as like what comes first or how things go. If it's really, if it's really good, I mean, if it's a good process and on this record, there's a few songs that just kind of show up 
you know, with me writing lyrics and feeling the melody at the same time. Okay. And being able to like construct, you know, the rest of the song around those two things. Mm -hmm. That's when I feel best about it. All up and down this street, these houses all look the same. In the graying of the twilight, I can't recall a single name of any of my neighbors or the faces of their kids. One of the kinds of cars they drive, if their dogs are tired. Walking in these shoes isn't as easy as you'd like. Dodging all these bricks that are baking all my lights. We all have to struggle and hold it as our truth. It's about as special for me as it is for you. Do you then demo the songs? What What's your sort of pre-recording before you go into the, the studio? What's your process there? Oh, it's, it's terrible. Um, <laughs> in this record, I tried to, I tried to demo cause you know, I've got, you know, whereas when I was starting out, I didn't have anybody around, so I never demoed anything, you know, mm -hmm. just if I was playing with anybody, I'd, I'd like play through the songs at their house and say, Oh, we're going to record them tomorrow or whatever. We'd go do that. And it was rough and ready. Now, you know, to my horror, like my manager's like, I need some demos. I'm like, well, what? <laughs> I don't know if they're done or not. I mean, you know, you really want to hear this crap. And, and so I'm sitting there with like my phone or something trying to poke these songs through mm -hmm. and, and warning, you know, warning people that they're not going to sound like, don't, you know, don't, don't get <laughs> yeah. any money on this because by the time <laughs> I get to the studio, you know, the, the aggressive editing will have, continued you know and you get to the studio sure. and people are like which one's that and like it's none of them because you know it was this one but it's changed into that one um so demoing is not super comfortable for me because you know i'm not i'm also the guy that never writes a set list and doesn't play songs in the same key all the time you know because maybe mm -hmm. i've had too much coffee and i don't want to sing that low and i want to sing a little higher so you know <laughs> so, you know, it's when you get into the studio, then are you doing a lot of improvisation? Is that how you sort of flesh the songs out? I do a lot of improvisation all along. Okay. Um, and, and yeah, when I, when I get to this, and this record is no exception. There's several songs that as I was getting ready to play, I had, I think two or three songs are using a guitar strung with baritone strings that are two full steps low. But then mm -hmm. by the time I got to recording the songs, I was, down around three steps below pitch um this mm -hmm. sound core yeah definitely and i hadn't tried to sing it that way okay um, it, it did all right i mean when i play it live now it won't be that way anymore but but that definitely felt like a improvisational moment and were you mostly by yourself in the studio uh yeah it was Eric Koskinen, uh, it was his studio. He engineered, recorded the session um, and was just really instrumental in, you know, helping me through the process. Uh, him and Liz Draper, the bass player. Yes. Um, we just propped the studio door open and we talked and I played songs and Liz played bass on a couple of them just live. She sat in the engineering in the, in the, in the booth with her bass and played along. So it's, it's pretty casual. 
Um, but that was just the three of us that day. And was Brad Cook involved? Brad Cook was involved. Um, Brad's a really dear friend of mine. And initially he was going to do, he was going to produce the record. Uh-huh. And that was, a, you know, when we went to Pachyderm and started recording like stems, send, okay. send, send, sending all the stems to Brad. And I just couldn't get any traction. You know, mm-hmm. I was starting not to hear these songs as ensemble songs at all. And so we sent everything to Brad, you know, and he and I would talk. And at one point, you know, and he had a couple of good suggestions, like the the title track, uh, the chord sequence is something that that Brad gave me, you know, because mm-hmm. I had it exactly backwards. And he said, what if you flipped it over this way? And I'm like, that's better. Yeah, that's what a good producer does. And then we talked on the phone one day and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not comfortable. You know, mm-hmm. these stems are just don't feel right. Nothing feels right to me. And he, he agreed. Okay. And I said, I, I'm, I'm starting to think maybe these aren't ensemble songs. I'm starting to think that these are solo songs. And he agreed and, and gave me some great suggestions. And I went on my way to Eric's studio and re-recorded the whole thing live. So there's no stems. It's just. So you had recorded basically the whole record at Pachyderm when you recorded Decoration Day, but then went back and recorded the rest of them essentially by yourself. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Okay. The initial, the initial run through everything was done in chunks, you know, so, mm-hmm. so that Brad would have a lot of, you know, stuff to mix. Mm-hmm. Okay. And not a really comfortable way for me to record, to be honest with you, but, um, but it wasn't even the process. It was just, it was something just never felt right. You know, it just didn't, it didn't go decoration day uh was recorded at pachyderm as a solo piece with liz on upright bass and then we went back with with uh the quartet and as as that 12 string piece ended we just you know eased into that you know leaned into that and then uh played played it out you know so it's actually two pieces of music in a weird way Kind of so it's yeah. it's a 15 minute instrumental track that closes closes the album yeah. um and you just said it's kind of two different pieces so was there was there like a structured written beginning the, the fir- yeah the fir- the first the first 8 minutes the, the 12 string piece that's very very specifically kind of composed mm-hmm. right the last however 6 minutes are a group of improv- improvisation spontaneously composed i guess it sounds like it i mean it's not that it like falls apart but it definitely you feel that transition of looseness as it goes along yeah it's a great track i love it i've i've been putting it on loops Liz Draper played with you at the uh, quite a bit at the the um, live streams you did at First Ave. Uh, mm-hmm. What was that experience like playing at that venue that you've obviously been to many a time, but in in such a different setting? It was. I wanted to use the word bittersweet, 
but it was definitely much more sweet than bitter. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's weird being in a venue like that, that you don't see without all the people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, I love that venue. I've loved it since I moved to the twin cities in the early eighties and seeing punk shows at the entry and first oh. Avenue was the thing. I can only the- imagine what you got to see. Yeah. And, yeah. And so I love that venue so much. And the people that work there, all the, all the people that work there, all the staff, they are just so kind and accommodating. Even there's nobody in there, you know, yeah, and yeah. they were just all there. They were happy to be there. They were happy to help me become comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really did. I felt, I felt great. I was really grateful to have, you know, Liz along and we had some other guests along as well. And it, and it felt, it actually felt like a show. It didn't feel like, a, a recorded video or live stream or whatever it was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It felt good. I felt, I felt really, um, yeah, I felt really at ease. I felt really comfortable and, and the love for that place and the love that the staff feel for that place and the love that you could feel the people that, that kind of tuned in for those live streams, you know, you can tell that place is, is extremely special. So yes, yes. I enjoyed it. Um, I hope to hope you get back in person soon, but you have been playing in person shows recently. How's that been going? It's been going good. I've been doing outdoor shows. Yeah. um, And so far it's, it's been comfortable. It's been nice. Um, It's you feel safe. Yeah, I have. I mean, um, I'm vaccinated. Um, Mm -hmm. Good. um, It's just, it's weird is what it is. I mean, it's just, Mm -hmm it's you still kind of like um I, i've got there's a certain amount of uncertainness about it kind of am i am i okay here am i supposed to be doing this is this going to be right. okay i don't want anybody to get sick mm-hmm. for, you know just for this show um you know and and i'm okay i'm okay with you know not going back to normal i'm okay with going forward into something new that right. we can all be comfortable with that doesn't bother me. You know, I like playing outside. And yep. so getting to play out outdoor shows this summer so far, so far has been really, really good. And I've been enjoying it. And, and, you know, getting to perform is, is, is a gift that I'm consistently grateful for. And so as long as it goes at a pace that I don't feel is out of control, I, you know, I, I, I'm, all, I'm doing it. And have you been playing the new songs at some of these shows? Yeah. Yeah. And, and how's that experience been? You, you know, we've talked before about sort of the, the changes that you find when you play new songs. How, how's that experience been? Yeah. So far it's been good. Um, you know, like the title tracks tempo changes violently from show to show. Um, <laughs> I bet. Yep. But I'm, I like that about it. I like, I like the fact that it's loose enough that I can just fit it in where I want it to and let it be either a ballad or, you know, or a mm-hmm. scorcher. It's fine. So far, people have been, have been responding well to the songs, and I'm, I'm enjoying playing them. That's um, good. I haven't I haven't pulled out any of the 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 real like downers like Bed of Wasps or Whitefish Lake yet, but you know, sure. At some point, that's that's coming, and we'll see what they do then. Now, will you play Decoration Day live? I played versions of that. Yeah. I I oftentimes will blend that in with other things. Okay. Um, the the end of the song called Rain mm-hmm. is is indicating the beginning of Decoration Day. Right. It's that beautiful little solo you play. Yeah. yeah. And so 
that 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 seems to be where that wants to go live. Like I'll play one of those lyrical songs and then and then merge it into at least the beginning of Decoration Day. Gotcha. Um, I also play with an experimental band called Portal Three, and we've been experimenting with versions of Decoration Day in our sets. But we're oh, all cool. experiments. Well, I am looking forward to getting to see you playing live in person soon. I hope everybody that's out there listening gets a chance to do it too. I hope everybody listening gets to hear your record, uh, Last of the Better Days Ahead. It's out July 30th on Smithsonian Folkways. Charlie, thanks so much for talking to me today, man. I appreciate Thank you for it. having me. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Take care and uh, see you on the road, hopefully. I hope so too. Take care. All right. Cheers. Remember what it's like when all the world's filled with light. Now do you have that in your sight? Spread it around, do. Spread it all around, do. Spread it around, do. Spread it around, do. Spread it around. for this episode of the Jam Bass Podcast. As always, many thanks to all of you out there for listening. Thanks also to Charlie Parr for taking the time to chat with me. Be sure to check out Charlie's new album, Last of the Better Days Ahead, wherever you get your music. Jake Alexander helped produce the episode. Thanks, Jake. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, take care of each other and go see live music.